And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, man? How you doing? Uh, we're back together. The two-man show experience is here. It feels like I can hardly even remember a time we did this show in the same room, to be honest. I, we were talking about this earlier. I think the last time I saw you was in Portland. Yeah, in March. In March. In yeah. March. yeah, the first weekend, um, the first weekend of March. And who knows when the next time I'll see you will be, to be honest with you. It's a little shocking to realize how easy you can not go into public places with people you know. Like, mm -hmm. that's I could never have guessed this was going to be the case, but it is. And uh, and we're all surviving. We're all alive. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about magic. We're here to talk uh, about a big time announcement. Up yeah, so, so the Master Modern Podcast is a podcast about modern and magic and kind of all the things that are adjacent to that. Uh, it is the only podcast part sponsored by Cracklin' Oat brand cereal, the goat of all cereals. It tastes great. You should try it. We're not actually sponsored by Cracklin' Oat brand. That's <laughs> just the best. Um, and, but if you guys uh, would like to, we're, Alex is almost like his Twitter is basically sponsored by Cookie Dough Bites. That's mm, like a thing yes. that's been going on for a while. I, I, if you can get the crack, the Kellogg's Twitter account to tweet at us nice things about cr the fact that we love Cracklin' Oprah and would totally be sponsored by Cracklin' Oprah, we would appreciate it. Hashtag MMCast Cracklin' Goat Brand. Because it's the goat. Goat brand. Yeah. So Wizards just casually tweeted this morning, uh, on Monday, 7-13, there will be an update to the banned and restricted list impacting the following formats. Historic, Pioneer, Modern, and Popper. So all, all, all the formats, all, all of them. I mean, not all of them, Legacy and Vintage, are just hanging out, not doing anything. Standard isn't being affected. But basically all the mid-tier, non-rotating formats and Popper. Um, and there's kind of a lot of speculation on what that could mean, why we're at a point where these, these formats need banning, what cards could be, they be looking at. Um, we have the metagames of each of them in the top 10 cards. So we're going to talk about kind of what each of the metagames look like as far as like what are the most played cards in each of those formats and what cards do we think are likely to be banned. <laughs> that is today's, that is today's topic. And, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's been an interesting time these last couple of years, as we mentioned on a recent episode, you know, there's been a lot of bannings in multiple formats. There's been a lot of powerful cards printed and magic's in like sort of a weird flux state because these bannings that they're talking about, they're really in reference to digital tournaments. They're not really in reference to paper tournaments because those aren't happening right now. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of your paper collection, and the deck you've been playing for the last several months that you're so good with and excited about getting wrecked, you haven't played any Magic, probably paper, in person with people, or if you have a very, very minimal amount. So this is really something that is referencing the digital metagame. Um, but I think we have some ideas as far as what we think it might be. The last major banning in Modern that we experienced was the banning of Oko and the banning of Once Upon a Time, which uh, were very... With, with like, companions being soft banned. Oh yeah, yeah. Companions being changed. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, Not a proper banning, and then, uh, and then Mox Opal as well was at the same time. Am I correct about that? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. All three. Interesting. It's it's been interesting how Mox Opal being banned. My feed has had such little like calls to unban it. There hasn't been like a Splinter Twin esque unban Mox Opal kind of outcry, but. Compared to Faithless Looting, a card that, like, if a year ago I would have argued was the much more problematic card, I get daily, maybe, like, posts on our Facebook group or on Twitter um, saying kind of, like, unban 
um, and Faithless Looting, which I think has been really interesting. I think it's just like the the hole that that card has left has left like a lot of strategies without really a good home, like Mardu Pyromancer decks. Like the decks that it was like problematic in, stuff like Dredge are fine. But the decks that like really relied on it and its power level to survive, like just to have disappeared. Phoenix decks, Mardu Pyromancer decks, other kind of cool effects. So so it's been pretty sad that it's been gone. Um and, and Mox Opal then later. I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting, right? We talked about this a lot last week where, you know, when we talked about kind of the survival of Pioneer is ma- modern, but in really magic in general over the last year and a half has had more bannings than ever before in history in every form. By far. Everything from modern to legacy to vintage to um, to standard to historic to pioneer to popper like literally like across the board um both powerful sets being printed into those formats so totally altering them and then banning cards out of them to kind of survive that and 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 so it's been really fascinating uh and painful in ways (laughs) to go through and i do think that we're getting to the point where we're leveling out a little bit i don't think for most of the part these formats are like I don't think people were like, no, we don't need cards banned, right? Like, I think, I think, like the the, yeah. the main culprits here are all pretty blatant offenders that people can look at and be like, okay, let's get rid of it. I think some of it is also, and we'll talk about Astrolabe a little bit later, but like that's a card that I think like they're like, you know what, we're banning it here, let's just ban it in all the places that we're gonna that it's like a real problem. <clears throat> um, so I think it's gonna be interesting to see like what gets knocked out and what doesn't, but um, yeah. I think there's a I think there's also one really interesting piece of this equation. And I think it's that in March, when you know COVID-19 became the talking point of the world and uh, we were all reacting, and the United States by and large closed for a few weeks, we're at this point now where a lot of people are very, very tired of the lifestyle they've been forced to live. And that means that some people are rebelling and deciding to go out and risking the consequences. And there's just that's a thing, and they've just decided that they're gonna go out and be reckless. And then there are some people who are like, a lot of people who are like, you know what? This is going to last for a while. So the life I've started to live these last few months is unfortunately going to have to be the life that I'm living for the next little while until there's a vaccine, until the world starts to actually sort of return to normalcy. This isn't going away in two weeks. My LGS is not going to be having FNM starting in July. Like, it's going to probably be 2021. Like, it's probably something like that, or maybe at best the end of the year. And so with that in mind, I think a lot of people are now, like, I can speak personally I'm finally settled into like, all right, so if I want to play Magic, it's going to be Arena, it's going to be Moto, or it's going to be Skype with my friends. That's unfortunately all I got. I don't get to go to GPs. My, my, my London GP trip that I have planned, though it's still booked, I don't think I'll go. <laughs> or if I do go, I won't, I won't be playing Magic in London. Um, and I think it's really interesting because it's, it's given me a little bit of an opportunity to refocus on, okay, I want to keep playing Magic, so I'm going to have to figure out how to do it. And now, right? Yeah, and, and I think also just, like, these are all non-rotating formats, right? So, like, the only way to deal with that there's a problem is to ban something, and, and, and there's, like, pretty pretty blatant kind of issues amongst them. I mean, like, you know, if you look at historic, basically Nexus of Fate decks uh, that are ramping um, have taken over with, like, the last tournament that was big, red-green mid-range kind of coming in and doing a lot, but basically those are the two main decks. You're either playing blue-green or red-green. Um, and then if you look at just other different formats, different things are available. But, um... Yeah, so what, what, what format do you want to start with? I think why don't, why don't we close with Modern because it's going to be our big one, and why don't we start with Popper because it's, it's, it was listed and it's one of the 
it's a fringe format for us, right? We don't, yeah, we don't yeah. talk about so, it very often. So Popper is pretty, pretty easy to me. Uh, there's like two big problematic cards. Uh, the first one is Arkham Astrolabe. People Let's start with what the card is, and we can explain to any newer listener kind of why this card is problematic. Because right. so I this, think if you're a new player and you look at it on the surface, it's hard to understand why this card is so good. It's it, a, it a also, common, yeah. it's a common artifact that was printed in Modern Horizons this last year. It is cast for one snow mana, um, which you have to have a snow covered land to cast. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, and you can tap one colorless mana and tap it to generate one mana of any color. So it doesn't accelerate you but it fixes your mana, and because it cycles for one, it sort of allows you to play a deck that feels a little bit tighter, a little smaller, while still being able to play all the colors you want. So much so that the top couple decks right now in Modern are you know three-color snow control decks. But it's a common, and all of the Snowlands are commons, which means that its ability to be played in Popper is easy and high, and it can power decks, and it can do similar things that it gets to do for the Modern format and other formats. It's, they just hadn't printed anything like it before. It's, they, they didn't exist yet. It's not powerful like a Titan is powerful. It's just powerful in the sense that it makes magic decks. You have to jump through a few less hoops to make things work. It's just the opportunity cost to play it is very, very, very low. The, the, it's not even just that, right? The biggest issue is that let's decks just play five col- four colors of five colors, no problem, with zero cost, right? Before in Modern and Popper, well, mo- Modern and Popper, different conversation entirely because uh, there were no good dual lands. But in Modern, you'd play a bunch of fetches. You'd cost you life, so that's a cost. And uh, Blood Moon being a card would also wreck you. Astrolabe makes it so Blood Moon doesn't do anything to you. Uh, you're um, able to play any color you want. And it is an artifact that draws you a card, right? So there's there's beyond the fact that it's letting you do something inherently breaking one of the key tenant rules of the game. It's f- allowing you to get extra bonuses in the sense that it's a permanent that draws you a card. It's an artifact to count towards artifact mana issues. It does kind of all these different things. And so it's kind of just been proven to be a problem in every format, right? The the modern has become, you know, the fact that like the best mid-range deck is just going to be an astrolabe deck because it can play all of the good cards. It can play all any card you could ever want. And that is generally a recipe for a bad format. One of the reasons that Affinity was a negative in Mirrored and Black was because it couldn't, like, it was just like the best, all the best cards were artifacts, so the deck that was the best deck just played all of those cards, and just every other deck was was unviable. One of the problems with uh, Fetchlands and Standard in general now is it makes mana so good there that you could just play four-color decks, and that's why Jace Vrind's Prodigy was a $100 card at one point, because just there was one deck. It played four colors, it played all the colors that were good, and it played all of the same cards. And so that's what you get an unhealthy format. And Astrolabe, by itself, not only allows you to do that without an issue, then is a benefit. It draws you a card, it makes your deck, you know, basically, or ostensibly a a 56-card deck, and also gives you synergies with a bunch of different cards. I think also, like, you know, again, and I don't think that you guys who are listening to this show necessarily, by and large, are newer players, because we are a modern show, and a lot of you guys have known us playing modern for a long time, but... Just so people understand, if they ask the question, why is being able to play four colors easily a bad thing? It's not that it's a bad thing. It's a fun thing. It's cool to be able to play four colors. It feels great. The problem is Magic is a great game. It's a phenomenal game. But the puzzle that is Magic existing the way that it exists, you have to make it more difficult. That's the same reason like you don't want redundant, repetitive play format to format, game to game. It's one of the reasons the, the companion rule had to be changed because... You don't really want decks that just say, like, I'll play this thing or a version of, of this thing in every deck I play from here until eternity, because then every deck and every game starts to kind of feel the same. 
which makes magic boring, and then they sell us packs. And, and and you would, I would argue pretty thoroughly that it's a bad thing. So, like, one of Magic's strengths that games like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon don't have is that is the color wheel, right? Like, and, and there's, like, an emotional reason that that's strong, but the mechanical reason is it means that the f- Magic will always be a diverse format of different decks. Like, if you want to try a different deck, you can. You're not playing... If I go to a tournament, I'm not playing mono... The exact like the exact same deck every single round throughout that tournament. That's one of the reasons. I mean, you bring up companions. That was one of the issues, right? Even though the different Loros decks were different, every single game Loros was in play on turn three, or Yorion was in play on turn four. So you have this negative of consistency of play that the color wheel is supposed to fix. The color wheel allows people to play, ha- forces people to have to play different strategies. That's why red and green do different things because they don't want you to be able to just play all the same things all the time and decks that make it if four color becomes the best strategy and it's easy to pull off that diversity goes away because because now it's well, especially yeah especially because to add to that i mean number one because it's a non-rotating format that means that from here on out that's what you do that's what modern is that the format becomes that format if you allow it to do that now when i say it's not a bad thing. What I'm saying is from a player experience, if you want to build a deck and you're excited about all the cards in Magic and you want to create something really cool, and you're like, well, I want to be able to play this card and this card. I want Stoneforge and I want to play Lower Skull Kotal and I want to play Lightning Bolt in the same deck. Well, the best way to do that is to play this thing that allows me to play all the colors I want. And if you're a player who wants to do something creative, good for you. This is a great card for you. But for the health of Magic as a long-term game, it's not great. And it's actually one of the big one of the big mistakes that happens time and time again is that they break the color pie. That's why Phyrexian Mana is such a problem. Anytime they lean heavily into breaking the color pie, and I don't mean like Planar Chaos break the color pie, like let's print a, you know, Sunlance, <laughs> like let's just like flip a card color, you know, Serendib Sorcerer can be printed. Like that's fine. Occasionally you do that, it's okay. But like it's when you just say like any deck, any, any deck can play this effect, right? And that's that's the problem. And that's, I think, what it is. It creates a redundant, boring gameplay and the health, the ecosystem of magic suffers because of it. Not the single player creative experience. That doesn't suffer as much. I don't, I don't know if I agree with you for that. Because, like, I, magic is a multiplayer game, right? You're not playing solitaire. I'm not just playing by myself. I'm playing with other people. And so if my experience is worse at a tournament because I've now played against the same six decks, if I'm playing just mere matches for a tournament, that's miserable. And... Astrolabe is a type of card that lends towards that happening more often while also making things more con- like then and then you add the layer of all the other synergies right it's not just like hey four color decks are the best deck it's four colors are the best deck and this draws you cards and this gives you an artifact so that Emery is a mana cheaper and Urza is turned on earlier and you know all of the different like 30 other things I can think of that make <laughs> having an artifact in play is beneficial just I think is is like is a reason it needs to go, and people have been calling for it. The other the other card, and that this is in Popper, right? And Popper is a more extreme version of that, where like in Popper you couldn't previously play with more than really two colors. The three colors at most very easily, just because yeah, mono mono color text create like mono blue was like a key deck for a long time, and like, and, and and yeah, it still is. Like that's that's kind of the other card that I think that needs to go in Popper from people that I've talked to that are more experts on the format. Is, is Mystic Sanctuary. And this is an interesting, too, because pop, what's interesting about the Popper bands is I think these are cards that they're going to ban in other places um, as well. And Mystic Sanctuary is going to be the win- one that's really interesting. Do they ban Mystic Sanctuary in other formats? Because this card is a miserable card. <laughs> um, and is worse in other formats where you can find it with fetch lands. At least in Popper, you can't do that. But in Popper, it's just the, the combination of Mystic Sanctuary and Dispel 
Um, and cards like, you know, Delver of Secrets are just, like, easy early threats. Like, the Delver decks are just, like, it's too powerful. You can just literally loop a Mystic Sanctuary into spell, countering their spell every single turn, soft-locking them out of the game while you beat them down with the Delver of Secrets and a Ninja um, of the Deep Hours and just kind of go off and, and win the game. So I think that that's a card here that definitely needs to go. Now, applying that to Modern and... Um, historic and other formats is going to be interesting to see if they do it there and and and, and anything else on, on popper no i think I, I think i'm with you the the major offender in popper and i think the you know we start the conversation with astrolab we'll probably end the conversation there as well in modern but um i, I definitely think that for the popper format that that strikes me i do want to give a quick shout out uh just to remind everybody this show is brought to you by the nobles of house modern cam albergini uh and andrew kelso we appreciate you guys we jump into a little uh, 10 minute chat hangout on the discord with those guys um before the show anybody who is at that level of the patreon so go check out patreon.com slash the mmcast if you guys want to find out about that but yeah let's let's maybe move on to what, what do you want to go to? Historic next? Uh, yeah, let's do historic. Um, <laughs> in vague order of also formats we've played less towards formats we play more. Though I've actually played more historic than pioneer. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire up some historic literally as soon as we're done with this show. <laughs> I'm going to go in there and I'm going to build something and I'm going to start playing. I'm <laughs> very excited. Just, about just it. you should just stream it. Just turn the turn the camera on. Just go for it. Hang out with people. I don't know, man. I get embarrassed. I, I like I people like, I like being, to be, pe- know what I'm doing being first. Bad at magic. Um, <laughs> so I think the big big ones here for me like are, are are Nexus of Fate and Wilderness Reclamation. I think those two cards are just like have been miserable since they've existed together and need to go. And I think like the problem with uh, if you just get rid of Nexus of Fate, they still have uh, discontinuity. The, the new the new card that ends the turn. So it's not. It's yeah. worse. You don't have eight copies of that effect, but like, I think that the deck just like is a pain. Uh, I've played a little bit of it, and it's like even on my side of playing at, with the deck, it's like, oh, this is just kind of unfun and <laughs> shouldn't be a thing. You I wouldn't do. have expected. I wouldn't have expected Wilderness Wreck to be the kind of powerhouse and the kind of annoying powerhouse it was when they printed it. I guess I read it initially because you and I, I think talked about it in the in the in our set review, and I think we definitely talked about it, but I didn't look at it and go just like. Like, I guess it just seemed too obvious. It cost four mana. Like, it just, how, how is that going to be that problematic? Like, counter it, bounce it, destroy it, counter the big spell. Like, there just seemed so many things that you could do to not lose to it, but it's been a huge problem. I think the thing that people missed with it originally was the fact that it untapped at the end of the turn it came into play, ostensibly making it free as long as you're playing any number of cards with flash or, inst- or a number of instants. And at the same time, not kind of like grokking or contextualizing the fact that the format had so many powerful instant speed effects between early on with the you know there's like the the the, the green wolf that like makes wolves yeah every night back, turn, like the back and, end of and frilled, mystic. um and and then obviously the big one being nexus of fate just like was a buy a box promo right and it was like good and people were playing it in control shells but it like wasn't like backbreaking and then the printing of these two cards together, plus like growth spiral, being able to ramp out that enchantment a turn earlier than we even thought you probably early. could yeah. do it. Like th- I think just all those things together. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's actually, that's a really important piece. And I've seen people tweet about this, but I think again, just like sort of for a general understanding of like how this all worked together, it's the idea that you want to be able to play it and then untap and then cast something at instant speed. But the thing that ramps you into it a turn earlier also is at instant speed and also draws you a card. So like, you, you just and blue interaction at instant speed classically is good so if you're going to play growth spiral it probably means you have blue things that are also good so like 
the only turn you're really going for it is the turn you cast wilderness wreck and like if they want to like counter it or destroy it or figure out a way to interact with you fine but that's kind of the only way to win otherwise the second it resolves like you are in such a good position it's so hard to lose right the right. ramp aspect is insane and some of it like it, it came out in ravnica block right or ravnica block i guess but it, it came out yeah. a year before like or six months before nexus of fate and nine months before or to a year before um you know the different throne of eldraine cards so it was like ahead of the game in that sense um so i think that that was also part of it right it just like wasn't it didn't come out at a moment where it was the most powerful thing. Now we're here and, and I think it's done. I think like just it eventually got enough support where it's like very powerful. Um, and next, well, I saw there was like a tweet the other day. I saw you, I saw you interact with it. Somebody was like, it's crazy that these four cards are legal in mo- in standard right now. And it was like, it was like Uro growth spiral wilderness wreck. And what was the fourth card? Oh, and Azusa. <laughs> and it was like, Oh yeah, that's uh <laughs> That definitely seems like modern power level. That like does not at all feel like that should be standard legal. Right. And that's and that um, to me, speaking of cards, is the big question I have: is does Uro also get banned? Well, so we and don't play. That'll be a question. We haven't played. We haven't played as much historic. I think I think Wilderness Wreck for the obvious reason you explained, and uh, Nexus of Fate. I, I think it's fair to assume both those get banned. Like. We just saw what happened with Pioneer. We just saw like the reaction people had to a still metagame. I think they really want to make sure that doesn't happen at Historic. So I think probably a little more preemptive is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk Oro because Oro stretches into multiple formats. And I think the question there is, you know, we can... Do you want to talk Standard first? You know, with that? Or like, well, what standard, do you think? Standard's not having a card band, right? So it's 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 Pioneer, Popper, Modern, and... and uh, historic i think pioneer is the easiest to talk about there's like a very like there's one deck that's problematic and they just might ban like other cards that they're banning out what, of the inverter store. what inverter yeah yeah, inverter? yeah yeah like like the, they need to ban cards out of inverter what cards they banned is going to be a question i think like inverter is probably the obvious answer to me because i think just get rid of the deck like the if you get rid of Jace, there's still Thassa's Oracle. If you get rid of Thassa's Oracle, there's still Jace. Like both sides of that coin, I think like it's too redundant now. Unless you're going to ban all of them, but just if you ban Inverter, you now live in a world where that just isn't a thing. You can't use that. I, effect. I, I think I think it's valuable too because we haven't talked a lot about the Inverter deck on this podcast. We talked about it like a little bit here and there. We actually didn't talk about it last week on the Pioneer episode too much. So. To explain to people what it is, because I actually think that if they do ban it in Pioneer, let's let's pretend they ban Inverter, which I think is a pretty reasonable thing to expect they'll do. We all have seen what happens, right? If, if one thing gets banned in one powerful Eternal format, usually you will go and try it in another one. So like, if it's powerful enough to get banned, that will set off the red alarm for players in Modern to go start messing around with trying to make Inverter work. And I know they've already tried it, but like, if you can't play it in Pioneer, there's a decent chance people will try it in Modern. So Inverter, let's let's pull it up and explain what it does, because I feel like it's probably valuable uh it is so and there's a funny story at the end of this conversation but it there to go i had it uh inverter of truth two black black creature eldrazi devoid uh which doesn't really matter but uh it's a colorless uh card um it is a six six flying and then when inverter of truth enters the battlefield exile all cards from your library face down then shuffle all cards from your graveyard into your library so you 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 basically by playing it your graveyard goes away and your, your sorry your library goes away and your graveyard becomes your library um they they use this in combo with um Vassa's oracle or jace um 
the 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 War of the Spark Jace, Jace Wielder of Mysteries, which both have the ability to win you the game if your deck is empty. Um, and then they also use it with uh, delve spells, uh, most commonly um, Dig Through Time, to uh, remove all the cards in your graveyard so that when Inverter comes into play, there's nothing there, right? You can you literally exile your graveyard, getting Inverter and Thassa's Oracle, and play them and win the game. So so it, it kind of like all works together. All these are cards that are just like good by themselves. Worst case scenario, you remove your graveyard, you put the cards you've already cast, which are probably better than the random stuff in your deck, into play. So you're drawing gas every turn, and you have a 6-6 six, six flying in play. Uh, is like your worst case scenario. So it just attacks on so many different angles that it becomes a problem and, and has become like most of the metagame in Pioneer to the point when like when we did our episode last week on Is Pioneer Dead, um, the I think the, the two most common comments were one, that we were incorrect on which set it started with. It starts with Return to Ravnica. Uh, two was that the set... Um, that we didn't talk about the metagame in our like analysis of why Pioneer is doing badly because the metagame is relevant in the sense that it's the bad. It's just been this inverter deck basically since December and nothing has been done. So I think it's interesting. It's interesting too, by the way, I don't mean to cut you off, but just while we're on the subject of inverter, like they've tried to print inverter style cards for years. And this is actually like a very, very interesting pitfall because I think that sometimes they kind of miss stuff like this. What, what they'll do is they'll take a template, right? So, like, Inverter is not that different from the 6-6 six, six flying for four that got printed. Desecration, Desecrator Demon, the one from a couple years ago where they could sack a creature to tap it, mm-hmm. right? That your opponent could sack a creature it. to tap it, uh, like, twice a turn? Yeah. Yeah, and there's the and there's Abyssal Persecutor. You know, there's there's been a bunch of these, right? Like it's a it's a fairly common template, which is like a the demon, the giant flying demon, like the six six flying for four. There's some drawback that makes the card hard to play, and you see this pattern a lot. Wizards does it, and and it's not just with six sixes for four that have a drawback. It's like you see it years and years and years and years in a row, right? Like there's all the reasons they've why did why did dig through time get printed why did treasure cruise get printed because they were trying to find ways to print power cards with delve and make them cool and have flavor and feel like they were throwbacks to things that were too good they, like Magic that's what they always new do. cards to be exciting they're not gonna like 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 they have to make conscientious decisions to make boring cards so they're gonna try pushing stuff they're like oh it would be dope if delve could get you uh uh ancestral recall except it was too powerful right so so they do that, and so that's how Inverter gets printed, right? They don't print Inverter thinking, we're going to print this in concert with a card like Jace or a card like Lab Maniac or a card like Thassa's Oracle and make this some stupid combo deck. That's like, this card's not supposed to do that. There's, well, there's, a, there's an... Yeah, sorry, continue. There's a backside to every time you print a card like this where, you know, our friends that design these cards, they sure, they look at the template and they go, that's cool. You know, that that interacts with other effects, like your non-graveyard things. Like, that's interesting. Maybe this is powerful, but they don't go like, we're going to print this, and then we're going to print Thassa's Oracle in a few years, and this is going to be the best thing you can do. Well, like, my, that's not I, the way it's designed. And if you think about it, this deck hasn't been good in modern yet. Like, maybe one day will be, but it hasn't been. Uh, and it would never have existed in standard. So, so and, and Inverter of Truth was a not card for its entire time in standard for since literally the printing until Thassa's Oracle was printed and Pioneer was announced. So, like, from their perspective, that this kind of came out probably out of left field, didn't even think that this was a cool combo. The other thing is, like, up until last year, Laboratory Maniac was the only card that let you win without having cards in your deck and, and is a very popular card. So Wizards is like, oh, let's lean into that 
space. Let's come up with some cool ones. And then they printed two better versions of it. One is two mana as a triggered ability and does stuff. And the other one is, is a, a Planeswalker that has a card advantage engine attached to it. So both of those cards are good enough to play now in your main deck and do stuff even if you're not comboing, which Laboratory Manic was only useful for, and also at mana costs for their power level that are more uh, efficient than a 2-2, right? Like, Laboratory Manic is a 2-2 for 3. That's a bad rate. Thassa's Oracle is a, is, is a, what is the exact, I forget, it's a 2. It's a 1-3 for 2, which is a decent blocker that then has an ETB that draws you cards. <laughs> and Jace is literally a combo, Pete, or he's literally a, a, a Jace the Mind Sculptor Planeswalker. He draws they're, you they're cards. They're definitely much, yeah, they're definitely much better than Lab Maniac. There's and, no doubt and, about that. And so. so, like, those two added together with, a, with literally a card that the world has forgotten other than maybe the fact that I remember... Seeing it spoiled, thinking that it inverted your graveyard and library, so your library became your graveyard and your graveyard became Switch, your library. Yeah. And I spent an entire flight from Hong Kong brewing sweet decks, thinking that's what the card did because it wasn't on deck yet. <laughs> so I like was using random stand-ins, then landed, looked at the card again, and was informed that all of that time was wasted on decks that didn't work. <laughs> uh, it ends up when you can do that, you can get a lot of Vengevines into play on turn two, uh, turn three. I think is what I was pulling up. Um, Thank you, Simeon Spirit God. But uh, yes, so I think I think just like they didn't see this coming, and they sh- I think the reason they've been reticent to get rid of it is because of Splinter Twin. I think the reason it's taken them this long to act is because people are so Splinter Twin was so beloved. It was fine in the modern metagame, right? Like it, it was probably too powerful. It put a weird chokehold on the format, but there were many decks in the format while it existed. It was a very fun deck to play against. And they thought this could be the Pioneer Splinter Twin and we don't want to get rid of this because we literally get calls daily to unban Splinter Twin and it ends up that this is just a miserable, more miserable version of it, right? Splinter Twin was like a con- controlled tempo deck that had, famously said by Andrew Brown, like Yu-Gi-Oh cards in the back end of it, right? Like that's Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these cards don't do anything until they win you the game. Uh, but everything else is a really good flash-based tempo lightning bolt deck. And so... Like, that's a more fun deck to exist than what inverter decks end up being, which are much more pure combo um, with, like, control elements. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's, like, what Pioneer is looking at. The, the one thing that could happen is they could get rid of stuff like Uro and Mystic Dispute. If they decide Uro is a mistake in general or in, ter- in internal formats, they might n- nix things in formats that maybe it's not too powerful in right now. Like, Uro is not the most insane thing happening in Pioneer, but that's because this inverter deck is putting a chokehold and they just might get rid of it to like, they might just be calling the the world. So like if they ban a row in every form, ban it, if they ban mystic sanctuary in every format, they'll ban it on that topic on the Oro topic, mm-hmm. um, which is who we should talk about next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you like that style of design? Like the inevitability value engine, grindy, good, early, good, late, like this kind of just does everything. It doesn't just outright win the game on its own, but like, unless you have a perfectly good strategy, this will get me enough advantage to win the game. I love... I love Flashback. Right? I love Lingering Souls. I love Sandcast. So do I. I love... I love... The ability to rebuy spells from my graveyard. I love that card. But just to draw the distinction, but wait, to, draw, wait, I mean, to draw the distinction, wait, I want you to answer, gonna, but so I'm people gonna, understand, because I'm asking, because I also love flashback. That like a flashback card that gives you something valuable in your graveyard, like Lingering Souls, all about that. I'm talking about something where like no, the I, draw I a card. I was, I was I, let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> I love flashback. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, 
but and I and I love that Wizards figured out a way to fix the way making it so that a flashback mechanic can be on creatures and permanents that go into play as well as spells and stuff that say in your graveyard, right? That's like one of the things that is interesting about escape. I think that the like, eventually this is going to kill you no matter what you do off of one card is not a thing that I love. I, I think that in general is a mistake and, and I'm fine for value engines, right? Like I like planeswalkers. I like that they are a card you play and they slowly build you value as they go, and then eventually they win you the game. Like, that's kind of what Uro does, right? Except that Uro doesn't have answers to it most of the time. Where, like, a Planeswalker, you just attack it, right? You Or you play one of the now hundreds of destroy, exile, kill, target Planeswalker, or counter it or whatever. Uro goes into your graveyard. So there's, like, unless you can exile him or get some type of, like, pacifism effect on him, he is going to come back and he's getting them value in the meantime. So even if you get rid of it, he's drawn them at least two cards and gained them for life and put two lands into play. I think Uro was a mistake. I think, I think, I, and, and it sucks because like, I think uh, the red black one's fine. I think that card's awesome and really cool. Yeah, Crocs is really cool. I, I, I think Crocs is better in terms of that. Like I, I find Crocs to be like way less oppressive. I think I ask you the question and I apologize for interrupting because you were obviously explaining yourself, but I just, I do think there's an important distinction to draw because I'm such a fan of the flashback mechanic and the idea that your graveyard is valuable. Like I'm, I'm with you 150% there. And, and I actually like that historically most flashback spells are kind of weak. Like lingering souls is anomaly. Like that's a really good card. Like usually you're dealing with like thrill of the hunt or like some really bad aftermath spell. Like those are just, that's usually what it is. It's like you're you're getting value in the fact that Firebolt costs you five mana for a sorcery speed shock. I'm all about it. I love Lava Dart, but like none of those are game breaking. The thing about Uro that I find hard to play against, and I think I don't like it. It's not my favorite style of card, but it's also just the decks I like to play don't really get along with it. I don't like that you, for three mana, three life is basically enough. to Three life equals about a half a card, like ish. Usually six life's about a card, so... If three is maybe half a card and you're getting to put a land in the play, which means you're getting ahead and you're in green, which probably means you're doing pretty big things anyway. And then the fact that later in the game, you can get a six, six, but also the fact that when it attacks, you get that same thing again. It just means that literally all you have to do with the card is resolve it once, get it into play. And if you even get to attack with it, I mean, if you even get to attack once, you're so far ahead at such a ridiculous rate. Like, I've had to use so many resources and have all the toolbox things to answer what you're doing. That doesn't make my experience as a player very fun because it's one card. Like, it's just literally one card in your deck. If you think about the things that are required to answer every phase of that card, that's really hard for most decks to deal with. So what you're required to do is you have to kind of race it or you have to tempo around it. But if it just happens and you're like, I'm going to do my powerful thing, you do your powerful thing, I probably don't have very many cards in my deck that have the same... DNA is yours. Right, you have like, to go. You you're getting go, a lot of value, and you've seen that, right? You have to go over. You have to play Ugin. You have to play Urion, bouncing a bunch of things, getting a bunch of value, and having a flyer that can go over it. You have to play, um, you know, uh, 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 what was the red enchantment that let you cast cards for free? Fires, fires which, of invention, right? <laughs> like, like, and like, right? like, like that's like the crazy thing about standard is th- we haven't existed in real standard for nine months. 
maybe longer, maybe a year, right? Like, this is not the standard that Wizards tested the cards that are currently in standard for. Right now, Uro would have been being answered by Oko's. There was a very good format-defining answer available, and that was Oko, right? The, the, the format would have had Field of the Deads blocking them. They would have had Fires of Inventions legal. The companion mechanic would work the way it was supposed to. So, like, it's hard to look at the format in the context that it's in and standard and even historic and, and to a certain extent um, it, without keeping in mind that the format is not what was tested and, and that like there are answers that have been banned. Like you were supposed to be able to play Veil of Summer in this standard format. That was a card that was available. Um, and it's weird, right? Because like also Uro versus uh, 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 Teferi three mana Teferi, Teferi Time Raveler. There's too many Teferi. Teferi Time Raveler. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, is it a weird matchup? <laughs> and almost, it's a great answer against those Planeswalkers, right? And and so, on one hand, you can see that they had like up the scale because of that, and it's like almost an arms race. And I think that's kind of the issue they ran into, and they're they're going to try and fix that. But I do think Uro in general ended up being a mistake. I think it's I don't think it's Oko bad, um, but I can see it just slowly being banned out of every format as a card that's just like, they're like, you know what? This is the top end of what shouldn't exist. And, and, and in your defense, it's like, not your defense, it's kind of what you're saying is like, what if Sphinx's Revelation came with a 6-6? Six, six? <laughs> well, that basically is, I was just going to go lead into that. That is Hydroid Crisis. And basically Hydroid Crisis is a fair card. I'm, a, I'm fine with you playing a Hydroid Crisis. If you have lots of mana and you have growth spiraled and ramped into it and you play your Crisis and you draw lots of cards, you gain lots of life, you have a big threat, Okay, I'll give you your cards. I'll give you your life. I'll answer your threat. Like that, you had to spend in theory like a giant buildup to get there. Like mm-hmm. that's the only time you've played the card. I know that it triggers uncast. So like they designed the card to be cool and valuable in the same way that Uro is cool and valuable. You're getting when you cast it. So even if I counter it, it doesn't matter. But I'm still totally okay playing against that. Like that to me feels so much more like the way, the way I sort of I don't know. I don't know if you're the same way as me, but like. When I think of magic in general, I look at a card and I tend to try to think of it in terms of like a one for one value. So if I have to find some weird way to two for one myself to do something I want to do, like we've joked plenty about like Mirror Superior, but like I'm basically having to sort of two for one myself to get that into play, jump through a second hoop to do it. All right. Like I know what I'm getting into. I'm trading off to get something cool, or at least I was then. You're not trading off to do anything with Uro. Like it's just designed to be kind of like a two for one against your opponent in itself. And that's and that's I think where like the unfun experience for me comes in because again like you think about rate in magic is it how much mana is it to draw a card you know how much mana is it to destroy something or to deal damage to something when you're evaluating burn spells or you're you're looking at that new one drop that exists in M21 that gets plus 2 plus 1 you know if you have x number of cards in your opponent's graveyard like anytime they design on some metric like that you're like all right how much power can I get on turn 1 for one mana all those things are like sort of fairly easy to understand. It's it's when you don't have like a a there isn't like an obvious drawback. What's the drawback to Uro? Like that's the question. What's the drawback? Um, you do n- not nothing on turn three, right? But like your turn three play is if they're applying real pressure to you, doesn't stabilize enough at times. Like it, if they have like two creatures in play, it doesn't gain you the life you need. I guess you don't die and you draw a card, so you don't like waste the turn. But so there's that. Um, he's not always the easiest to escape, right? The six is a significant number and, and, and getting that number 
out into your deck has its challenges, and so he's not like a guaranteed turn four card. You have to really be trying to do it to pull that off, but that's it, right? You're not wrong. Like, I mean, I guess the other thing is just like, he's a 6-6 six, six ground pounder that's getting them life. Like, if you're a combo deck, who cares? If you're Inverter, who, like, one of the reasons I don't think Uro is a big problem in Pioneer right now is because, like, Inverter's like, well, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> that's a good point. I think, your, I think your point about Croxa, though, is really sound, which is that, like, Croxa is effectively designed with the exact same design space. It's just what you're getting out of Croxa is so much less oppressive, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like, draining in the same way. Um, but I do think the other point you made that I wanted to focus on was the inevitability of a Planeswalker is unless you're dealing with you know elspeth from theros like that has escape most of them are like very face value they come down you play them like they do good things if you can if you can keep them around for a couple turns you're probably getting a good amount of advantage if you can keep around for like four or five turns you probably win the game um unless they're getting attacked every turn again like (laughs) there's a one for one value to that i think about like what am i going to need to do to get rid of your thing and if i can get rid of it it's probably not coming back right like Uro's not even on the table, and you've already gained three and drawn a card, or or put a land in the play, I should say. But anyway, so so th- th- enough of Uro. I, I think we're kind of on the same page. My my opinion is that I want that card. I think that card should be banned. I'm like not a fan of playing against that. I don't think it makes Magic better to have that card out. Sure, and 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 it's like an interesting feature to it is. Yeah, like it, it's interesting that that Kroxa is like a fair version of it and is like a card that's fine versus Uro that's like been more problematic. Um, and, and I think yeah, like the real answer to to, to to Uro in general, just go over it, right? The the problem with it in modern, which is the format we're now going to talk about, segue <laughs> is like it's also going over what you're doing because it's playing it and then playing Primeval Titan, or it's playing it to do bounce lands to like yeah, like win the game which just has its own layers of issues and, and power level. So, so I think, I think, yeah, it, it arose on my list. I think, you know, we, of the cards we already talked about, Arcane's Astrolab, uh, Astrolabe is on my list of cards that need to be banned on modern. The four color snow decks have been miserable. I think most people kind of agree. I think you can go look at Vincent's feed from Pleasant Kenobi. of just like him calling for that card to be banned for now a year almost. Um, I think that, Mystic Sanctuary is a card I can see them getting rid of. I can see them not yet. Um, it's one that's like a little bit on the edge for me. It is the seventh most played land in the format, so it's in twenty five percent of decks in modern. That's just because that's just because that that's just because blue fetch land decks can get it, and it's a good thing you can get, and it's not really that bad to play otherwise. Like, sure, yeah, it's okay yeah. to play. But it's just like an especially good value piece. That's like the negative, right? Like you, it's so free to play this card that every deck does, does, and it creates pretty miserable play experiences. If you have this in a cryptic command, you soft lock someone out of the game. If you have this and any extra turn spell that, like, you like, there's like different ways that this card is just like miserable to play with. Um, in in popper, question dispel or despise. Before we move on from it, because I think actually now that we're in the modern format, like. The card Kitchen Finks is probably the three mana card that, like, in terms of its turn three play, most feels similar, I guess, to Uro. Like, it doesn't do the same thing. But, like, when I play against somebody who's playing a Kitchen Finks, it, it gives me a similar feeling, which is, like, if I'm attacking you, like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> You're going to get, like, lots of value. You'll gain a bunch of life. This thing's going to be around. If you can find a way to get it back on the battlefield after it dies anyway or blink it, like, it's going to be really hard for me to kill you. You're going to gain a lot of life. You'll have a blocker forever. So why, in your opinion, is 
kitchen finks like so much more fair is it just because uro has the back end of being a 6-6 like it's just well, it, it's a win condition ramp is way better than blocker just right. okay yeah fair enough like they're both threats so like the threat sides are comparable i mean kitchen finks is attacking the next turn Oro's is like two turns slower but kitchen finks is smaller but like yeah, I think I think putting extra land into play and drawing a card is a lot better than just gaining two life and having a hard to kill three two. I mean, and, and Kitchen Finks is really good. Like that's that's insane, right? Like Kitchen Finks is one of the historically format defining cards of modern at many different points of its life cycle, doing different things, often comboing. But even like early days, it was just a part of Jund as a life gain hate 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 card, um, and or just a beater in main deck. <laughs> is it is it the best green white card ever printed? <laughs> Didn't we do this? I think it is. I think we I think it green white's like pretty powerful. Like <laughs> I think I think yeah, I think, I think Finks is like probably the most powerful. You can sit on that. Like Knight, it and like Knight and like a few others were like right up not in there. I'm not a reliquary. Uh um 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 the, the like armadillo cloak style. Well, not that one, but the no, other there's, one. There's, what's the one that makes tokens whenever they cast an instant spell and when it dies you get a token that Yeah, yeah, voice Gattic Teague uh that's more internal formats but like extremely powerful in those formats i think those are like uh all on that area but yeah that, that's that was that's like the range the, it is Prime Mage might be better the like the like greatest probably green white creature ever yeah <laughs> is just like a, a pretty like pale imitation i guess it's an uncommon and like uros and well, a myth it, so anyway it's like like kitchen things is seen play in standard right now but that's because it's like or modern but that's because it's good in devotion or devoted druid decks that are like going infinite using it as a combo piece which it'll always be that the persist side of that mechanic where uro like is just a different they're they're i think they're more different than they're similar their main similar being three drop that gains you two life um yeah i don't know i, I think that like uro is just a, an obviously better card and the fact that it's so much better like it's so much better than kitchen thinks a card that is good in modern is like saying a lot Wild. about the card <laughs> that's like well that's like kind of why i wanted to bring it up because i feel like i feel like historically when i think about playing against kitchen things it's already miserable right it's already miserable <laughs> it's like so much worse so so uro mystic sanctuary arkham's lab astrolab those are the three cards we kind of talked in other formats that pretty much are applicable to modern in all the ways we discussed in those formats um with them being more powerful like arkham's astral is more powerful in modern than it is in other formats just you have more good snow stuff available to you in modern than you do in popper you have um urza you have like more artifacts matter cards that care about it in modern um and you have more snow matters cards so like just kind of all three sides of it it's more powerful um or we just talked about into the ground. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Mystic Sanctuary is a card that also is just more powerful and modern than any other format. There's fetch lands. Being able to fetch for Mystic Sanctuary is was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I have a question for you. Would this card yeah. be problem... Like, this card... Would this card see as much play as it's seeing if it didn't have Island as a type? The Island subtype? Yeah. Not even. A little bit close. Really? Like, you don't think so? It's like... Well, because Popper, it's seeing play oh. without that being relevant, right? They don't fetch land. So it, it's literally just turn four land that lets you go loop despise or deprive. deprive. Yeah, but but it's also... They have a third of the available lands. Like they, like most good lands ever printed that have like a cool ability are not common. They're almost almost exclusively rare. <laughs> Sometimes you'll get like a buried ruin or like a ghost quarter, but like most of the time, 
most of the time they're rare. Like most of the time, like the really cool stuff is rare. So like common, like honestly, in the history of magic, if you think about common lands, like the ones that do something good, you'll have like the one from like Battle for Zendikar that like generates one of any color when it enters the battlefield, or you'll have like the old like invasion ones that can sacrifice to ramp you or like you know there's like there's like weird ones here and there that, that, that get printed from time to time ash barons the artifact lands like the cycle lands are all commons common um, yeah there's a, those the ones bounce, from uh, the those, lands the, gates yeah that and then i guess the whole entire cycle from from um from eldraine which is a, it's a part of that cycle like those are all pretty cool so like i just think if it wasn't an island you would just be dealing with the sort of chance of drawing a tap land that like if you draw it later, it's good and it has lots of value. But I just think maybe in Popper it sees the same amount of play. But like in modern, no, no, well, I think nobody I think plays in, that. In modern. I think Popper absolutely does because I the I don't think its island type matters too much in Popper. I think in modern it's still a staple. I think I think that like the being the fetch it is dumb. I think that's it's like a dumb thing that it can do. Like that should never have been a thing that exists. But I think because I think this card sees play in modern regardless. I think the fact that you can. Just like well, explain to me the play pattern. So like the deck that it's good in, if it's not an island, like explain to me how you justify and how many copies. On turn what, five, how, what does that have, look like? If I have two in my deck on turn five, I win. And, and on turn five, I have cryptic command every single turn. I counter your spell every turn for the rest of the game. But okay, so what if it's like? But again, like you're you're balancing that against having a two copies of tapped lands that are going to be tapped in your like, deck unless you hit like, them later in the game. Modern, you play man lands, like like or, or like like creature based lands are in the format. Like there's a ton of lands that I've played in modern that come into play tapped. You just mitigate it, right? You play the t- if it's your hand tapped, you play it on turn one when you don't have a spell to play anyways, which like generally makes you play better because those decks are playing stuff like serum visions that the longer you wait the better it, you you play that like on turn three when you have a two drop right there's it's pretty easy to micromanage your land drops especially if you're playing a fetch mana base where most of the time you don't need to worry about it that like that won't that normally will be something that you can mitigate especially because the play pattern is on turn four to cast a prime and return it to your hand so from that point on you're now just like it could have been in play, so you can put it on turn one or turn three whenever you weren't going to do something with that extra mana. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty mitigatable, especially if you're only playing. Like two. you think it, you, like you like you think it gets worse, but it's still for sure played. Like no question. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's as good, right? You don't have it. It's not a tutorable. It's not tutorable by like a third of your deck, <laughs> or I guess. A well, I, I guess to your to your point, like tapped lands that like monocolor tapped lands that you always are going. So, okay, it's not always tapped. Right. Treetop Village was played in Jund forever, forever as a tapped green source that was always tapped, right? I don't think they play Treetop Village anymore. I guess I've seen some decks play it, but I feel like that got phased out. Like, I can't think of very many mono-colored lands that definitely come into play tapped a high percentage of the time that see much play in Modern. Like, can you think of any? I mean, monocolored, no, but I, I think the power level of this is high enough to mitigate that. I, th- I think like this is comparable to a colorless card, especially because it comes into play tapped in the turn that matter, untapped the turn that matters. In control decks, t- four mana coming into play untapped are more important than like a fast land, right? And like so, that's so, an interesting idea, isn't it? Right, like you like said, it, what what if this card was a colorless land? What if this was a t- comes into play tapped colorless land that just referenced if you have three other lands? It comes into play untapped, or and does it come into play untapped ever? I, actually, I don't think it matters. I think this card sees play if it's a bl- a colorless tapped land that returns a spell and puts it on top of your deck. 
just always, period. always yeah i guess i was thinking i was thinking if it was it was a, if it came into play tapped created colorless mana and if you had three basic lands in play entered untapped like that was like and i think it's probably thinking about that it's probably still just as good it being blue is almost irrelevant like it's the fact that it referenced yeah, yeah it coming in play yeah. untapped is irrelevant i think a land card that enters play tapped and produces no mana that returns a spell to the top of your deck every turn and when you when you cast it is probably too good if they ban it i mean like they might not ban it and then we're going to live in a world where it's still considered fine by wizards but i think long term this card goes it might happen this week uh my guess is this one doesn't i don't i don't think this one i don't think this one goes this week if i'm if i'm a betting man you know, the only other card that we didn't really talk about that had been like on the chopping block for a while, and I think I it's less it. problematic now with it. I have two oh, cards. There's two more? And there's one card that like is the card I think is going to be banned more than any other. But we can talk about what you're going to talk about, and I can go. The one I was going to say, and I think you'd agree, is that without Luris, I don't think Mishra's Bobble is really oh, problematic oh. in the same way. Oh, like, I, I don't think that'll get banned. No, no, no. I, yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, Mishra's Bobble's totally fine. Um, I mean, in the long run, it might not be. Like, it has the issues it always has, which we talked about way back in the day which was like way back in the day, like six weeks ago. Um, in 2020, a year that was both 10 days long and 60 years long. Uh, yeah, I think that like in the long run, maybe because it does do things in a bad way. Um, like it, it's a free artifact, which I think has its issues. Uh, no, no, uh, 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 um, two cards. Uh, first, Field of the Dead is the first one. Um, and that is a card that I also could see them being banned in, in theoretically historic and pioneer pioneer once again is weird because of the issue with, um, inverter, but just like field of the dead is such a miserable card. It does something. The format has a card that was more fun and has been around with Valkut for a long time. It just like incentivized play in a weird way and is just kind of miserable. And I wish that card was never printed. It's funny that, like, you love know, land strategies, <laughs> Me, dude, me too. And I, you know, one of the, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my, uh, I'll do my, my standard mention of uh, Highlander Gauntlet once in the episode. And I will say that in that format, all of us have a lands deck. Like that's the thing we all have. You've got one, I've got one, Eric's got one. And mine is pretty color heavy. Like I, I play, it's like a Jun deck, it plays like heavy. And so I haven't been able to justify, and I have Valakut and Scapeshift in there, but I haven't been able to justify playing Field of the Dead. Like I just, I can't talk myself into it, but like more and more and more, it's just like, this is so dumb. Why yeah. am I not playing? I'm going to talk yourself into it. so you, good. You just cut a spell, play it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's right. better than 90% of the spells in that deck. And that deck is playing like I'm like crop rotation is what I'm comp- comparing this card to as like levels of good. Um, like this card, all of the goodness that we said about Uro, this card's comparable, I think, to Uro in like power level. It's like freaking land. It's, it's just a land. A land. Right? Like, <laughs> it's a land. It's impossible to get rid of. Even if you get rid of it, they have multiples. The decks that play them often have ways to get them back. It's it's just something that I think is just should go. And like the world would be a better place for it. The last card um, that has a potential, I think this is the one that has the biggest target on its face. The, like it right now, Aethergust is the third most played spell in the format. Oh, third most played card overall more than 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 anything else because the number one played card in the format that has seen bannings everywhere else is veil of summer and i think this card's going now i think it's just like it's in 40 percent of decks of the format it like has a, a track record of being banned in other places right like it's 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 every whenever a card is already on a ban list somewhere else and there's a banning announcement i look a lot harder at that card and when that card is on a ban list in another format, 
and it's 40% of the metagame in this format, I don't, I can't imagine this card surviving past Monday. Like, uh, more than any other card we talked about, I feel like this is the biggest lock in any format. And I think, like, there are cards that we talked about that are also being banned everywhere. I think, like, Uro has the least likelihood chance of being banned places, and I think this has the highest chance. Can we just talk for a second about, so I'm going to read the text in Veil of Summer just so you guys all understand. The, the wording on the card is a little weird, uh, and I have always thought so, but... uh yeah, Veil of Summer reads... Uh, hang on, pull up in front of me here. Come on, load. Here we go. Veil of Summer reads, Draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permanents you control gain hexproof from blue and from black until end of turn. Now, I think that the I think that the uh, the wording on this card and the way that it kind of relates to older cards that are similar was a little confusing to players when, the, when this got spoiled. I think people read it and were like, what is it? We'll just compare this to all of yeah, because it's 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 a little complicated. I mean, it's it's you get it if you read it, but like they've been doing this type of thing since the dawn of time, right? Mm-hmm. Blue elemental blast, pyroblast. You go to like flash freeze or like yeah, like they, they, those kind of, those types of cards have been printed forever. But it's really interesting that this particular cycle, the aether gust and and the veil of summer cycle, these cards are like we're talking about flash freeze level cards. Like these are supposed to be uncommon color centric answers. And we're banning them. That's how push these cards I are. Mean, I think part of it is, and, and you could say this about the year in some ways, is that there are cards that are as good as they are because it was Wizards saying, I'm sick of these cards not being good enough. You know what? We've done five color hate card cycles since Alpha. Like Circle of Protection <laughs> is yeah, the right, first right, one. Right. And, and the green one that hates on its two enemies is always or generally garbage. Even the best one I could think of before this, which was the like anti fairies elk. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, like great stable, great, great stable, stable stag. Like was fine. Was like a fine cyborg card out of Jund for three months. <laughs> and Veil of Summer was then being like, you know what? It does everything. It counters the spell. It gives you protection. Thoughtseize, you're out. Counterspell, you're done. Regular cards, you'll draw cards even. So it even cantrips itself. So it's never wasted. and Or it's most of the time not wasted as long as they're playing those colors. And then it just it's just eventually they got there, but they pushed it way too over the hump. And now it's just way too powerful. And that's just what happened. And I think, I think it's fine that this card existed. I think it just needs to go. Like, I think it's just time. I also think... I also think the fact that it's green is 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 the big problem because like if you characterize every color and like what they're supposed to feel like as a player, there's a level to green that has always supposed it's always supposed to have felt kind of like yeah, okay I'm playing like this big dumb animal and if you counter my big dumb animal or you kill it <laughs> like okay but I have the best cost for my big dumb animal than any color none of you other colors are going to be able to play something as beefy and cool for as cheap as me and like that's what I do. But they're like, okay, we're going to just allow you to play your giant's thing, but then also back it up with one mana that cycles. Like, you get a blue spell in green to protect all your huge things. You don't even have to go outside the color pie. You can just play green. That's where, to me, it's like... Yeah, and the fact that it hates on blue and black, which are arguably the second and best color outside of green, um, in a lot of formats at least, like, and, and the most interactive color, that's not totally true, but the, like the most like likely to hit the stack, I guess, right. Is like, this is more of a goodbye thoughts. He's goodbye counterspell. And, and those are very relevant in modern. Those are like the two stock gaps to the stack in the game. Uh, the only ones. So it, it kind of is this weird green answer to the stack and, and maybe just green shouldn't be able to do that. Um, 
Yeah, it, it, it went to the same college as Questing Beast of way too many words on a card. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons it like got undervalued immediately because it was like, what does this say? You draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Does that mean if it's on the stack? Uh, I guess if it is on the stack, I still draw a card. Okay, now I'm understanding. Okay, spells you control can't be countered this turn. Okay. Which is then, which is like weird, but also relevant because like blue is the only other than like random white card. Um, and then you and a permanent you control and permanent you control gain hexproof from blue and from black until end. Of, so it's like so many layers and also weird mechanics. Me having hexproof is weird. What does that count? Does that like? And if I give myself hexproof, it just like it uses the stack in such a weird way. That I think that like it was hard to grok at first, and then just like blew up every format it was in, and now it's just too powerful. It needs to go. I mean, think about what that just like from from like a very basic standpoint, like what it means. If you are on the play and you play a fetch land, and then you pass to your opponent, and they attempt to crack their own fetch in Death Shadow, the thought sees you, and they cast it, <laughs> and you Veil of Summer, you're countering their spell and drawing a card. They can't target you because you have hexproof. And you're drawing a card. Like, blue doesn't have counter target spell draw a card for one blue in modern. It doesn't have counter target instant or sorcery spell unless they pay one draw a card. Like, if it did, it'd be nuts. I would freaking love that card. I'd lose my mind for that card. So do you, I, I honestly believe that if they printed this card in blue, it would be bad. Not bad. Same color, like uh, switch switch uh, green for blue, you mean? So, so it would target black or blue? No, no, it would be... It would be a blue veil, veil of winter, one blue, draw a card if an opponent has cast a red or uh, green spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permanents you control gain hexproof from green and red cards this turn. I think that card's bad. I think it's like maybe a burn hate card. Well, yeah, because basically red, like red's one drop that they want to be able to do is a lightning bolt. And white's one drop they want to be able to do is a path to exile. So neither of them target you unless burn is just burning you out, which if they are, like you have other things that are better than that. Maybe but the Thoughtsies red one targets is you. too good. Yeah, Thoughtseize targets you. Like like red, red count, because green counters black and blue, which are like obviously very powerful to do this too. White counters uh, red and black Back. so so white might be like white could be very good countering i think though i think i think though if you say it's in blue and it, it and it focuses on green and uh red uh if it, then i think the only problem there is that if you tell me my sideboard plan of having three dispels that i can bring in so i can counter lightning bolts is now i'm bringing in a card that both counters lightning bolt and draws me a card I think that's a probably a little good. Like I think that's for blue but to have not, that. That's yeah, yeah. pretty sweet. That's I think pretty it's, sweet. I think it's really. I think it's still good, but I don't think it's like. I don't think it's at this power level. I think. I think the fact that it targets what it targets has a lot to do with it. And one blue instant yeah. tar- counter target red spell draw a card is a card that gets played in sideboards across the land. Like yeah. that's for sure. But like, great. but like for blue elemental blast does not see much play. Yeah, in legacy, right? Like but it doesn't draw a card though. But it doesn't draw a card though. Sure, but I don't even know if it sees play if it draws a card. Like there's not that many. In I think I think I think you're underestimating why is Astrolab so good. It's not just because it fixes your colors. Well, but if but it, it just fixes your colors and didn't draw your card. But it only draws you a card if they play a red spell or a green spell, right? Like it's not it's not 
draw a card do this. It's draw a card if your opponent is doing this. Otherwise, it doesn't. But it's a sideboard card, so it's only in your sure. deck if that matters, sure. is my point. So, yeah. like... I, I think I think we 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 had a whole conversation to start this episode about Astrolab. I think you can literally define this as like if your thing costs one mana and it draws a card and does something else relevant, whether it's intended to be a main deck card or a sideboard card, you're pushed past that level of like kind of good into this is so good. Pretty much like that's, pretty much anything beyond give keyword ability. Yeah, right, right, right. Like, I mean, for 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 goodness sake, like the. We we play opt. It doesn't exactly do that much. Like opt is like pretty weak, but like you play it, it scries one and draws a card. Right. Like like trample like anything Thoughts that doesn't like target a creature, basically. Like you like sees play. Peak doesn't see play, I guess. That's, it has though. Peak has seen yeah. plenty of play in modern. Like yeah. it saw play in infect, it saw play can play in Splinter Twin decks. Yeah. I mean, Gitaxian Probe, well, it never, it's not a little, but Gitaxian Probe just replaced it much, like, it was never, they were never yeah. playing five of those. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting how just, like, one mana draw a card, plus any ability that you can do all the time, is probably worth considering playing in some way. I also think, I th- also think, like, if you're talking about the value of peak, or the value of, uh, whatever we did, like, like, opt, right, those are, like, cards that, Peak kind of interacts, Op doesn't interact. But even if you know Veil of Summer or these fictional cards we're talking about are sideboard cards, when you bring them in out of your sideboard, they are absolutely interacting and drawing a card, which is actually way, way better than Opt and way better than Peak because, like, if you're bringing it in and it's countering a spell or it's making you have hexproof or something, if you're like invalidating something and drawing a card for one mana at instant speed, like that's an insanely good card. Yes, other than it's just so it's like. We're now talking about the cost of like sideboard cards, and this is a very good sideboard card against Jund and Burn, which is like widespread, like worth playing. Right, I played Deathmark in Modern, so like that's not out of the question. Uh, not Deathmark's good against other decks, but like same concept. The the issue you run into is like, it, are those relevant to the meta game? Does it matter that I can fight those decks off? Like, it, and it is a real cost to draw them, and and at most like. I'm not going to play four of them. So I'm playing like two of them in the sideboard. So I have to draw it. I have to draw it within a relevant turn. So like there's still the negatives of being a sideboard card, right? Like rest of peace exists and is fine. So like say this card's as good as rest of pieces against dredge against burn. I think it's fine. This is different. This is main decked by decks because they know that by having it in their deck, they're getting so much value off their other cards that it just totally wrecks them out of their, out of existence and, and gets rid of the two main ways, two of the three main ways people interact in this format being counter magic and discard. <laughs> It is interesting that Aethergust is 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 designed to have a similarly sort of like thinking outside the box color hate wording. The way that you can put this, you can you can counter the spell or put the spell on top of their like like things that have protection are uncounterable. You can still put on the bottom of their library. Like that's a very unique thing that card does. And I think it is interesting that it's part of that same cycle. Um, I didn't even realize that about Aethergust to be honest. For a little while, it took me a minute to realize that that's actually what that card could do. Sure. Like. When you realize that it has that added ability, it's like, wow, like this is this is them just clearly realizing that like flash freeze isn't good enough. Like it's just not good enough. Well, but this is worse. It's weird how this choose target spell or permanent that's red or green. Its owner puts it on top of the bottom of their library. So if I it's the same as flash freeze doesn't just counters it. Right. But like if I take your spell that's uncounterable and put it on oh, the bottom right. of your library, it's, it's basically the same thing. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. It gets around the counterability factor. Like this doesn't counter anything. 
That's why it's played. Sorry, I, I like had to readjust my. Totally, point. you're you're literally validating my point though. Yeah, like, yeah. I was on air on Twitch Rivals with Nathan, and like we were like literally talking about this card, and I like misassigned what it did, and then after the show, I like re I realized what I had done. I was like, oh wow, like I I missed this. Like I didn't realize this card. It's it's the reason like 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 uh uh other cards that don't counter like the word countering the fact that Vale of Summer says. Spells can't be countered this turn. This allows you to counter those spells because it gets around that clause. And that's right. why it's being played. That's why it's the third most played spell in the format. Like, this is an unhealthy format. The fact that Veil of Summer, Lightning Bolt, Aether Gust, Arkham's Astrolab, and Ashiok are the top five most played cards, then Uro, like, that's the top six. That's unhealthy. That needs to stop. And, and, and like, the reason Cryptic Command is in the top ten right now is because of Mystic, yeah. Mystic Sanctuary. Like, that's this is why I think they're going to ban a lot of these cards. Now, that's a crazy large number. Like, if they ban Astrolabe, Uro... That's why I don't think Uro's going. If they ban Astrolabe, Uro, uh, uh, Veil of Summer, Field of the Dead, <laughs> and... Mystic Sanctuary, that's like one of the largest bannings of all time. So I don't think that's happening. So I think so we're what's gonna... your, so so let's 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 take our bets on predictions. Because this is gonna come out. You guys are gonna watch this on Friday and and you maybe over the weekend, and then Monday morning they'll announce this. And Tuesday, either either Tuesday we'll announce like an, uh, maybe we'll even do like a Monday live thing. Cause we, we sometimes in the banning announcements we do this early. Maybe we'll do like a live episode, but we'll we'll react to this. But if you're making your picks, if you're making your calls for what do you think is actually gonna get banned, what's your prediction for modern? Just for modern. Fail of Summer, Arkham's Astrolabe. That's it. Yeah. So you're leaving Field. You're leaving Uro. With it's like with card. like a hedge on 50-50 chance on Mystic Sanctuary. Yeah, Mystic doesn't get banned. Neither does Field. I don't think Uro does either. I think I'm I think I'm with you. I think it's I think it's Astrolabe and Veil of Summer. Like, I, I, um, I think, like, like Mystic Sanctuary is the only other card that's, like, warping the metagame, right? Like, if you look at these lists, it's the one that's, like, also causing weird shenanigans on, like, what cards are seeing play and what cards aren't. But I could see them wanting to see what a world looks like with that card in it and Veil of Summer and Astrolabe not in the format. But that that would be that would be my, my one guess. thing. My, my one thing with Sanctuary that I think, like... I think Sanctuary won't get banned for this reason. Ever I think it's or good right now. Now. Okay. I think it's good. It's not in the top two offenders. And the thing that makes Mystic Sanctuary good, it's not like because you play it as a land, you have priority and your ability will resolve before they can respond, which is what some land abilities like have had problems with in the past, is that like your land comes in, you have priority, you can do something with it. The fact that it comes in and triggers you can still respond to the graveyard the same way you can respond to the graveyard with a million other decks. Like graveyard is important in modern and has been, there's a zillion ways to respond to graveyards. And like, I realize that it's a land. So like, that's what makes it problematic. Mm -hmm. But even so it doesn't feel to me like if that card became problematic enough, decks wouldn't just have the right hate to not lose to it. So I think that's why it doesn't get banned. I let's, think, let's I think that, Astrolab, let's make that, that that's us hedging our bets. I'm going to say it gets banned. You're saying it's not getting banned. We both agree. Yeah. Vela summer and Astrolab are getting banned. And we might be totally wrong, but I think that's a good us as a podcast hedging our bets. And then, um, and then Michael, 
Uh, Mar- Marshall said Uro for sure getting banned, and Michael was like, Field of the Dead, going away 100%. <laughs> they were like, for sure, those are the cards. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's a safe middle ground. In, in other formats, like, to be honest, I, I don't know how far they're going to go reaching. The one, the one interesting thing is going to be, does this, ba- like, it's so many formats at once, do they ban a bunch of stuff at once, right? Like, are they just going to be like, you know what, Mystic Sanctuary was a mistake, all these formats, it's gone. Uro is a mistake. All these formats, it's gone. Astrolabe is a mistake. All these formats, it's gone. Or do they pick and choose between the different formats the way they kind of do normally, which I would like less? I think, like, I'm I'm more on the side of Wizards just biting bullets now and being like, if we're going to ban cards, we're going to... Like, if, if we think... Oko, like, I wish Oko was banned out of every format that it was a problem in all at once instead of them, like, right. waiting... For so long to figure out that it was a problem in every format it needed to be banned in. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of, I think, where I'm at. Uh, the one interesting thing is that we haven't talked about, and I want to briefly touch upon it, though we don't have to talk too, too long. Are they going to unban a card? In any hmm. Now, I have no okay, idea about Historic or... Because Historic's ban list is wonky. Let's, like, just, let's just talk modern. I've got the list pulled up in front of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the list right now, one by one. And real quick, you tell me if there's any chance, all right? You stop me. You tell me stop if you need me to stop, okay? Ready? Ancient Den, Birthing Pod. Blaze Control, Bridge from Below. No, no. Say what? I don't... So far, Chrome no. Mox. No. Cloud Post. No. Dark Deaths. No. Death Rite Shaman. No. Dig Through Time. Dread no. Return. No. Eye of Ugin. No. Faithless Lord. Maybe. No. Glimpse of Nature. No. Glimpse of Nature? Yeah, Glimpse of Nature. That's the green one. Draws you a card whenever creatures comes into play. Oh, 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 sorry. I was thinking of uh, what's the mill card for blue and black? Glimpse the Unthinkable? Uh, I love that card. (laughs) Uh, Grave Grave Troll? No. Grave Great Furnace? No. Green Sun Zenith? No. That one's Ogak? closer, but no, no, definitely not okay. <laughs> Hypergenesis? Nope. Ironworks? No. Mental Misstep? No. Mox Opal? No. Lattice? No. Oko? No. Once Upon a Time? No. Ponder? No. Preordain? I would hope so, but no. Punishing Fire? No, no. Rite of Flame? No. See the synod? No. Second sunrise? Nope. Seething song? Nope. Top? No. Skull clamp? No. <laughs> Splinter twin? Maybe. Summer bloom? No. Treasure cruise? No. Tree of tales? You said no already. Umazawa's Jite? No. And then vault of whispers. So the only card that you really are actually considering. Is maybe Splinter Twin? It sounds. Oh no! Like. I said, I said, I said maybe to Faithless Looting. Those would be and my two. Probe, I think you said. I think those are the three. No, no, no I meant, I meant, I don't think they'll unban Gitaxian Probe. I think they could unban Faithless Looting. I don't think they will, which sucks. But I think that it. Yeah, I don't think Faithless Looting is being unbanned this quickly. I do think that Splinter Twin could be unbanned. The only other cards I... like like. Preordain and Birthing Pod, like those three cards are the only cards I can see them thinking of unbanning. And like Birthing Pod and Preordain, I don't think are, are going to happen. I think they, they're never going to unban Preordain. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's like. I think, okay, here's my thought. So on those ones, because I, I agree with you on the ones I read through, right? So Preordain, I think, 
I think preordained would be fine. Like, I think we all can kind of agree. It's like the, the, the format is so powerful now that having just a better blue cantrip is, I mean, the blue decks would get better. And, and I guess maybe it would make Delver a player, I guess, maybe like possibly, but like it, but like, it's not a big deal. Um, Birthing Pod, they won't unban, I think, for the number one reason of just like modern is sort of grindy anyway. Like it has like a lot of like kind of oppressive planeswalkers and things that are just like annoying, that just exist that are annoying. And I don't think Birthing Pod makes the format more fun. It just makes the format like a lot more like grindy, which like I'm not excited about. I disagree. Birthing Pod's so fun, okay. but sure. <laughs> I, I disagree with your reasons. I don't disagree with, I think it's just such a powerful engine and it's so similar to what Loros was doing that they didn't like that. And it's a weird thing because Loros's issue wasn't that was like what it did was cool. It was that it was so consistent and that has all of its layers that Birthing Pot is a part of. So I, I, I would be, I would be, it, it'd be weird that now is the moment they want to get, bring it back unless it's a like, sorry, Loros players, here's a bone. Um, but I just don't, I, I, I don't, just, think, I it just happens. don't yeah. see I it happening. I think there's so many more powerful creatures since the banning. The card that I do think, though, I agree with you on is Splinter Twin. And, and actually, now that we talk about it, thinking about modern, thinking about magic, thinking about the history of modern, I'm going to make the bold call and say that I believe they're going to unban Splinter Twin. I on think that's going to happen. I actually think, thinking about it now, like... Of all the things we've talked about tonight, that actually feels to me like a like the decision where I'm like, that, that will not magic better. at all. It's not going to surprise me for a second because like the curve, the way it works, how it interacts with the rest of the format, like none of it's problematic. We've seen so many tests now on all the different sites of like just how good is this if you compare it to the rest of what's being played. I actually think that's going to happen. I, I really think Splinter Twin is going to get unbanned. I think we're going to see Veil of Summer banned. I think we're going to see uh, the Ashley. other card we mentioned. Ashley. Ashley. Banned. And I think they're going to unban Twin. I uh, think that's actually going to happen. If, I'm making that my, my shot call. If they unban Twin, they have to unban Mystic Sanctuary. They have to ban Mystic Sanctuary. I don't think those two decks, those two cards can exist in the same deck together. Blue and Modern with Fetch Lands, just being able to get back pieces of interaction too consistently. like With Splinter Twin. Right, like, like, like having Splinter Twin a deck that is all flashcards, being able to just like rebuy cryptic commands with my lands. <laughs> like, I don't, I think that sounds problematic. I'm not saying they, I think they might ban Mystic Sanctuary. That was my shot call. So, like, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that won't happen. I'm just, I don't think those two decks should exist together. I think that's too good, but I don't think that that means. That they want to ban Splinter Twin, I just think they'd have to ban Mystic Sanctuary. Well, we will see. We will see. I think uh, it sounds like you and I will probably do like an emergency, either hot take episode. Yeah, I would say, or... I'd say there's not going to be a hot take this week in the classic sense, in the sense that there won't be an edited video. It's going to be uh, on Monday next week. We'll do a, a live stream at some point during the day uh, to talk about in response to the banics. Yeah, it's important, and we'll be excited to do it. So, guys, be sure to follow along with everything that we're doing. You guys can check out patreon.com slash the MMCast. Check out what actually I just streamed my very first uh, MTG Arena games. I, I did a draft. You guys can follow me at Ben Bateman Streaming. That was on Friday. I'll be doing more this week. I'll actually be announcing, not today, but next week on the show, I will be announcing my actual streaming schedule. I'm figuring it out now, what kind of how I can make it work with my schedule. But I will be streaming Magic at least one night a week, if not two. Uh, that will include some moto that will include some streaming that will include some historic. Um, and I know I've talked about it in the past, but I actually did it. I actually did my first one and I, 
I streamed it and you guys were watching. It was really fun. Alex jumped in there and it made fun of me. So uh, be sure to follow along uh, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Ben Bateman streaming. Uh, and I am at Kess Wiley everywhere. I would love for you to follow me on Twitter. I also stream on Twitch once a week. I also am just on the internet and we do videos on our YouTube channel. So make sure to like and subscribe down there. Uh, there is content that goes on the YouTube that isn't on our, our podcast. So so definitely if you're a audio only listener, just definitely uh, subscribe on YouTube as well to make sure you get access to the hot takes we mentioned. Um, you get access to random deck techs that we do, commander content, uh, random straight to camera editorials, um, and uh, etc. So definitely make sure to subscribe there, and, and then also you'll be able to get catching on streams and everything else. Um, and uh, yeah, other than that, we uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you patrons for supporting us. Thank you Marshall for editing every episode, making us look better than 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 we can make ourselves look. He makes us look damn fine. Yeah. I and thank say. you, thank you to our official official Masters of Modern podcast sponsor, Cracklin Oat Brand. Hashtag Brand. MMCast Cracklin Goat with a G. Hashtag Brand. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag Cracklin Goat Brand. <laughs> uh, please tweet at Kellogg's and ask them to sponsor us. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.